All right, I want you to notice what it says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body for this cause. Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, that many are dead. Why? Because they ate and they drank that cup of the Lord unworthily. Now, what does that mean? How to eat and drink unworthily? And I've, I've briefly talked about this before when going through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but I do want to spend some time on this because when it comes to the Lord's Supper, um, some of the weirdest interpretation of the scripture that you will ever get comes from the subject of the Lord's Supper. And it's because in the Baptist world, people love to fight over the Lord's Supper thing. Now, you all might not realize this, but politically speaking, in the IFB world, it is a major thing about whether or not you are closed communion or close communion or open communion. And uh, basically, uh, you know, closed communion means it's for church members only. And we've always practiced closed communion. It's just for our church. We don't open it up for the whole world to come and do it because this is a very serious thing. And I've got reasons for that, but I'm not going to stand up here today and pretend to tell you that this is just explicitly spelled out in the Bible. Now, some people will tell you that it is. And I'm not going to get into what they do with the scripture to, uh, to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt. It should always be that way. I think there can be some room for some disagreement on some of these things. And some people would not fellowship with me just because of that. Just because we're closed communion, but I'm not a knucklehead about it. Because in some circles, you have to be closed and you have to be a knucklehead about it. Otherwise, they don't have anything to do with you. So, uh, so and because of such hardline stances people have taken, everybody goes to this passage of Scripture where if you interpret the Bible the way the IFB does half the time, where you isolate passages and you don't look at context then it's real easy to do some weird stuff with this passage. But uh, we believe in rightly dividing here and actually doing due diligence and uh, looking at context. And so I want to I mainly focus tonight on what it means to eat and drink unworthily. What that, what that means exactly, because in many churches what they'll do, they'll get up and give you a big scare talk. You know, And some of y'all aren't right with God and you're going to eat and drink the cup of the Lord unworthily and you're probably going to die as a result of it. And they... Uh, one thing they often do is they have an altar call before you do the Lord's Supper so you can go and you can kind of take care of business and get everything right in your heart. And then they'll even warn you too. Now, listen, if there's anything in your life, you probably just don't want to take it tonight. You know, and then everybody's in a bad position because it's like, okay, if I take it, I might die because I'm not right with God. If I don't take it, everybody's going to wonder why I'm not taking it. And so it's, it's kind of an awkward position. 
And whenever you see weird stuff like that going on in church that just does something inside you that says, I don't think this is right, it's probably because there's something wrong with it. And when you actually rightly divide, you'll find out uh, these guys are getting out of line with what they're doing. And we're going to show you exactly what that means. But sometimes things require a little bit of study. I know everybody wants me to just show them a verse, cut and dry, here's what it is, you know, as clear as a thou shalt not kill. That's what everybody wants. And some people have found those verses, but the truth is they haven't found those verses. Because if you look at the passage as a whole, you'll see what they're teaching is really, really weird. And so let's let's give this the attention that it needs, because obviously this is very serious, and obviously there is a way to eat and drink unworthily, and we don't want to we don't want to do that. So in order to get an idea of what's going on in First Corinthians, I want us to go to Luke 22 first and look at uh, what's known as the Last Supper with Jesus Christ. Let's see what's going on here in Luke chapter 22, because what some people do too when it, go, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, they have a contest of who does things the most like the Last Supper. And then other people, they get in the context of who does it the most like the Passover in the Old Testament. And then they start adding all kinds of weird commands and things. And it's like, you know, it, it's novice stuff, all right? Be nice to people that do that. They're just a novice, okay? They, you know, it's, it's all right. You know, they'll, they'll learn that that was really dumb. But, you know, because if we're going to be really hardcore about Passover, we should be eating it with haste, with the staff in our hand, with blood on our doorposts. But, you know, they always leave those ones out. And I've heard some people, too, make videos. You know, it says he broke the bread. Some churches are using these little crackers that are already pre-broken. And, you know, the Bible says he broke it. And it's like a command now you have to actually break the bread. Now, listen, if you want to do it that way, that's fine. That's great. That's fantastic. But at the same time, that's not a command saying I have to perform that function there. Why can't it be pre-broken? <laughs> just, you know, but, you know, they... Everybody wants to be the most hardcore on this, and it's, again, because it's, it's kind of a pride thing, and I think Baptists are known for that. We're probably the only religion in the world that's this weird about stuff uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. It, we, we really are. It's, it's really kind of embarrassing. But look at Luke 22, verse 14. It says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer. So understand, Jesus, they were observing the Passover right here. Okay? They were observing the Passover. He says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, this is key here, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So notice what they were doing here. Jesus is saying, This bread, this cup, this is a picture of my body and blood that is being broken for you. Now, there's some significance to that, okay? Now, first, understand it was Jesus that instituted the Lord's Supper. And I think you could say, if you wanted, that it's a replacement of the Passover. Or you could say, too, probably better would be to say it's a remembrance 
of the Passover. The old Passover, it was a looking forward to the real Passover of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And now the Lord's Supper, the way we do today, it's a look back on the cross and on the Passover, what Jesus did. And um, so it's important to understand that. And so in order, though, to understand what Paul was up against with the Corinthians and their observance of the Lord's Supper, it lets... To help us understand, let's make a comparison between a Jewish holy day and a Gentile festival. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, when it's talking about the Passover, it says in verse 1, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt by night. Thou shalt remember, therefore, the sacrifice, the Passover to the Lord thy God, of the flock and the herd and the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it seven days. Shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, and thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all thy coasts seven days. Neither shall there anything of the flesh which thou sacrificest the first day at even remain all night until the morning. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt. And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt turn in the morning and go into thy tents. Six days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here, but notice that first off, there was a lot of details that they were to follow when it came to the Passover. It was also after they, part of the Passover, it was not just a one day thing. It was that seven day feast of unleavened bread that was also supposed to be a part of it. It was a Sabbath week. They were not supposed to work during that entire week. Now, these Fake Hebrew roots Christians who observe the Passover today and defile the Passover and make a mockery of the Passover, they don't do it right. They First off, they don't do half, 10% of the stuff they're supposed to do, and it, they just do it for one day instead of a week like you're supposed to. That's because they're using a lame, modern-day synagogue of Satan shortcut version of it. And that's another subject for another day. Please don't get me going on that. As I'll, I'll get sidetracked and spend a lot of unnecessary time there but understand these things were meticulous why because god was trying to show them things god was these things were prophetic of the messiah and of jesus christ and these were considered very holy things these sacrifices these customs that they did they were to be done with a solemn attitude this is serious this isn't playing around now here's the thing you've got to understand That's foreign to us. Y'all understand that? For us as Gentiles, that is very foreign to us. What do we do on all our celebrations? We stuff our faces, and now we don't do this, but as Americans, we get drunk too, don't we? I mean, isn't that what we do every holiday? We stuff our face. Where Where did that custom come from? It came from our heathen ancestors. It came from the Gentile. That, that's what they did on all their feasts. It was a big carnal thing where they gave their flesh everything it could want. 
And you know what? Isn't that what we do on 4th of July? Isn't that what we do on Memorial Day, all our American holidays? And isn't that what we do even on our Christian holidays? How many of y'all stuff your faces like animals on Christmas? With your Christmas hands. Where's that in the Bible? Okay. What is that? That's that American culture, you know, getting mixed in with our Christian culture. Okay. And, and I don't think, you know, and we're not commanded to celebrate Christmas. So, you know, I don't think you're violating any scriptures by eating a Christmas ham. You know, amen. But at, at the same time, we are commanded to observe the Lord's Supper. We are commanded to observe the Lord's Supper. And so the Jews, having a solemn, serious observance of something holy, that was second nature to them. They knew they did these thing, kind of things all the time, and they were very serious about them. They, they, many of their ceremonial things that they did, they were long, they were meticulous, and they were meant to send a message about the holiness of God. And the good Jews, they took it serious back in those days. But in the Gentile culture, they were not used to observing holy things. Their big days were days of revelry, you know, riotous eating, drunkenness. That was how they celebrated. And I believe that what we're seeing here in uh, 1 Corinthians is their culture was showing in their observance of the Lord's Supper. We're going to see it. We're going to go back through uh, 1 Corinthians 11 in a little bit, but there's no doubt Paul's getting on to the Corinthians for a bunch of stuff. And one of the problems these people had, and I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday morning during Sunday school a little bit, but you know, there's a big difference between a Jewish culture where they're taught the law, where they're taught about holy things, and a Gentile culture that's not taught about anything that's holy. There was a big difference in these things. And so you have all these Gentiles now getting saved. And you know, and they're just as saved as a saved Jew. But understand this adjustment and this changing of a life, it's going to be different for them. You know, the the uh the Jews were used to thou shalt not commit adultery. They were used to, you know, not fornicating and all that kind of stuff. The Gentiles weren't used to that. So it was a big adjustment for them whenever they would get saved. And I believe their culture was showing we see in Proverbs chapter twenty three Verse 20, it says, be not among wine bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. Jews aren't even supposed to hang around those kind of people. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So they had those problems then, but the Jews, they were to separate themselves from that. But now in Christianity, we're going to the Gentiles, we're getting these people saved, who every single holiday, they had forever had this practice of just being gluttons and acting like animals. And it take you know it takes people some time to change their act after getting saved sometimes, doesn't it? You know, how many of you, when you got saved and started going to church, you were shocked by all the things you weren't supposed to be doing? Man, everything's a sin. You know. And and before you never even thought about it. And it was and it was adjustment, it was a big adjustment for you. But you know, for a Jew, observing something holy would not have been a weird thing for him. So the Passover this was one of their most holy observances that they had in the Jewish uh, culture, and it was something they took very serious. And all the ceremonial things were very serious. Okay? So Jews would understand this. But now, for us today, as New Testament Christians, we don't have any of these things to do, do we? We don't, we don't have a lot of stuff like this. You know why? Because Jesus did all the holy things for us, didn't he? Jesus was circumcised the eighth day. Jesus' parents gave the two turtle dove offering. Jesus went and observed the Passover. Jesus went and did all. Jesus did everything 
Jesus went and did all the works of the high priest for us. We've been talking about that. Jesus did all of these things for us. Jesus gave himself as the perfect, holy sacrifice for us too. These things all matter. He, Jesus did all the things that we were not capable of doing. So let me ask you, today as New Testament Christians, what holy thing do we have today that should be reverenced above all things? Because think about it, we, we don't have a physical temple, do we? Our body is a temple. We don't have a we don't have a holy place like Mecca or the Temple Mount or you know like a lot of religions. They have these places. You know the Vatican. As New Testament Christians, we don't have any headquarters except in heaven. You know we don't go to Jerusalem to worship. God's looking for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have no place that we go as Christians that is just this holy place that we got to you know take our shoes off and all that. We, we don't have to do that stuff you know why because jesus took care of all those things that pointed to that for us okay we don't have a physical temple we don't have a city it's not our communion vessels that are holy. you know we don't have any vessels here that are like just this super sacred thing where you know we have to be very careful how we treat these things and handle these things and if you you know are out of line with them, or you use them for something you shouldn't, you know, you got seven years of bad luck or something like that. You know, we don't have anything like that, do we? Five years in purgatory or something. We, you know, we don't have anything like that. So, but here's what we do have. There is something. There is something that we have that it is holy, that is righteous, that is completely undefiled, and that is necessary for our salvation. And you know what it is? It's the body of Jesus Christ. His, now, his body is not physically with us today. His body, you know, he, Jesus Christ, ascended up to heaven. Jesus Christ poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. So understand, his body, though, that was our offering. His blood was payment for our sin. So if we're going to have something that is that represents this holy, undefiled offering that was necessary for our sins, shouldn't we treat it with some respect? Shouldn't we have some high now we're not used to that. Okay, we're not used to that. Okay, even if you were Catholic, you'd probably be a little more used to it. You know, Catholics have their idols and they have all their hocus pocus and stuff they do all the time, uh, you know, when it comes to their religious things. But as, as Baptists, we don't really have anything like that, do we? But here's what we do have. We do have the Lord's Supper. It is a remembrance of Jesus Christ. And you and I, you know, we're, we don't think about this stuff much, but you know what? We should when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Because that fruit of the vine that we're going to drink, that bread that we're going to eat, I get it. Yes, it's just grape juice. Yes, it's just unleavened bread. But, here, but it's what it represents that's important. What it represents it matters, and we should care about that, and it should mean something to us, just like your wedding ring. It's just a ring, but hopefully it means something to you if your marriage means something to you. If it's something special that was given to you, maybe you have some kind of item at home. It's not a valuable item, 
but it was something that was given out of a great deal of love. Maybe it belonged to somebody that you really cared about, you really loved, and so it means something to you. Well, the body of Jesus Christ, it ought to mean something to us. And let me tell you, it does mean something to us. And so since we can't have him here, and we have been told to use these things as a representation of his body, should it not be held in the highest regard? Should we not honor it? Should we not be respectful with how we handle it? That is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And we ought to take it very serious. And so if Jesus said this bread and this fruit of the vine represents his body, which was broken for you, we should look at it with reverence. We should be serious about what we're doing. And we're not going to be careless about how we observe this as a church. So now, having said all that, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's point out a few things because, again, all this stuff I'm telling you, uh, you know, as far as the culture and the background, you know, I, we're not going to take the time to go to it, but it's not hard to prove these things from the scriptures based on just the context, based on many things that are clearly stated. But let's, let's see what's going on here. In, in verse 17, it says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul's about to point out something that they're doing wrong as a church. There's something, you guys, you guys are messing this up. You're not doing it right. It says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, if we're going to isolate this passage, then we could, if, and just look at it all by itself, then we could say, well, you're not supposed to have Lord's Supper at church. And I don't agree with that at all because we have the rest of the chapter. And we, we don't isolate uh, a passage and use it as a proof text for something that the Bible doesn't teach. This is not a command to not observe the Lord's Supper in church. This is him, this is Paul, telling them that when they come together, this isn't like, Thanksgiving. This isn't like the 4th of July. This isn't like your other feast where you go and you fill your belly. That's not what we're doing here. And, and I get it. You know, these Gentiles, they probably had a whole bunch of days that were big days where they normally did their celebrations. And so they hear about remembering and observing, you know, the death of Jesus Christ. And they're like, all right, let's make a big deal about it, out of this. You know, and so what do they do? They did the stuff they normally do. You know, they brought the chips and the cheese dip and, you know, all the stuff that we do for every every holiday. Well, my folks, what do we do at Super Bowl? Americans, we treat the Super Bowl like a holiday. And what do you do at Super Bowl? You stuff your face. And let me tell you, you go work at the Walmart Distribution Center for several years, and you're going to get bitter about this stuff because am I, am I telling the truth that around holidays, it gets a whole lot busier around there? You know why? Because our country's full of pagans who every single holiday, they stuff their faces like maniacs. You know what would solve the obesity problem in America if we got rid of all the holidays? You know, then everybody could just go to eat normal. That would, pro that would probably solve it. I don't know why I'm getting sidetracked on that, but flashbacks to Walmart. Because that's how it, it's how it is at holidays. It's, it's crazy just how much more food. I mean, do people really eat this much more on holidays? You need the same amount of food every day. But yet we're like shipping double for, for one day? Some, something's wrong with that. It's weird. And so these people, they're, they're used to, the, this is what they were used to. This is what they did. And they're like, hey, guys, this isn't about stuffing your face. 
And this, and the, and Paul, he's correcting their mindset because this was a holy observance. And I believe this would have been repulsive to him as a Jew who is used to observing holy things. And he's looking at these Corinthians and thinking, hey, you guys need to cool it. And he's lovingly correcting them here because they're not treating this observance with any respect. There was no reverence to what they were doing. And he says, for in eating, everyone taketh other his own uh, before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. So you got some not getting anything, and then you got others that are stuffed, that are getting too much. So there was no order to what they were doing. You know, and that's not how, how it's supposed to be. Verse 22, what have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I pray you, I praise you not. He's saying, if you, if you need something to eat, eat at home. And he's not saying observe the Lord's Supper at home. He's saying, no, when it comes to just getting something to eat, that, I, I hope nobody came to church tonight and I hope you didn't skip supper thing. We're having the Lord's Supper tonight. And you're just waiting, right? You're just waiting. And I think that's why I think that's why traditionally we've gone with such little pieces of bread. So nobody will be dumb enough to come to church thinking, well, you know what, we'll have the Lord's Supper tonight, we'll be taken care of. No, hopefully you ate in your houses tonight. And what we're about to eat is not meant to satisfy your flesh. It's meant to remember Jesus Christ. And if anybody comes to me after the service and complains that they're still hungry because we didn't give them enough, you know what? You're eating and drinking unworthily, and you're probably going to get corona. Because for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. All right? and I, I, if you would be that disrespectful, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, th- I think you'd be the one to get the COVID uh, in our church if, if you did that and were serious. Because you, you have no clue what you're doing. You have no respect. This is not about filling your belly. So, uh, you know, so, and we should be able to relate with this. This is what we do every holiday. We stuff our face. And that this is, this is not the type of thing they were doing. And, but it was it, their immediate reaction to an observance of something special is to stuff our face. And, and we, we should be able to relate to that as Americans. So verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And if, if we could just try for a second to get in that mindset of a Jew who understood sacrifices, offering up sacrifices, who understood a high priest who offered up a sacrificial lamb for the people. They understood how serious those observances were. They understood how holy those things were. They got that. And so when Jesus is telling his disciples who were Jews, while they're eating the Passover, this my, this my body, this my blood is broken for you. They understood the significance of that. Something was done for them. And I think the best way I could relate that to us Americans is it would be like if I went and I offered up a check to pay off all of your credit card. You know, that would be a great thing if somebody did that for you. They got you out of debt, out of, out of a financial debt, and they did that. You did nothing. They did it on your behalf. You'd be excited about that. Well, understand, we owe a sin debt. But this was one that we could not pay. This is something a lot worse than a credit card debt 
Somebody had to come and offer up a sacrifice for us, and Jesus did, and it was his body. And that's what we're remembering, and it had to be a holy sacrifice. It had to be something completely undefiled, and when we are taking the Lord's Supper, and we're taking something that represents that holy, sinless offering that was given for us, and we're just careless about it, and we just have you know a flippant attitude about it, that's bad. That, that does not please God. God required an holy offering. And we have been commanded to remember that and to observe that until Jesus Christ comes back. And if we just have a bad attitude about it and we just don't even care about this stuff, God sees that kind of thing and he's not pleased with it. I do believe that's something that will make the Lord angry. And so in verse 25, it says, And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This you do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And you think about that little cup when you hold it tonight. That little cup that you're going to drink that's going to be so easy for you to do, took no effort, it's, just, it's such a simple thing. That, he said that little cup, that cup is the New Testament. Well, let me ask you, what would you rather have, the New Testament where Jesus did it all, or do you want to go back to the Old Testament where you got to keep the law? I don't want that. I don't want to go back to that. I can't, I can't drink that cup. I can't handle that. But you know what? I can handle this cup. You know why? Because Jesus did it all for me. And I'm going to appreciate that, and I'm not going to be disrespectful with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go and petition the church to get bigger glasses for the Lord's Supper because I like grape juice, and I want a bigger drink. You know, and then I'm just going to sit there in the service, take a big old you know, drink of grape juice, let out a belch and stuff. I mean, just, no, not when, it, not when we take into consideration what it represents. But because these people were just so carnal, they weren't even thinking about this. And Paul, had to, he had to get onto them for it. It was something that had gotten out of control. So, and he said, if taking something serious, if treating something as holy, and sacred, and if that makes you nervous and if it bothers you a little bit, just understand it's because you're an American. That's all there is to it. You know, we don't, we don't think about this stuff. But you know what? Whenever we do it, you need to just forget you're an American for a little bit and just say, you know what? Let's, let's be serious tonight because this really matters and it really means something. So he says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, you cannot just take that verse by itself. And, it, and then I just get to preach about whatever I think makes people unworthy. Some of y'all, you have, you're behind in your tithe. You've been robbing God. You're going to try to take this Lord's Supper as a thief? I don't know. You might not, you might drop dead as a result of it. No, that's not what it is. You know, this, this, this is not the time to go just trying to clean house on whatever sin we've got going on in the church and, you know, scare you all into doing the right thing. Let me tell you something. All of you have some sin in your life. Everybody's got some issues. And, but thankfully, Jesus Christ is making intercession for us. His blood, it cleanses all those sins. And you know what? If you have sin in your life, I'm not telling you don't get it right. The Lord's Supper, if, you're, if you take it serious... I believe it will cause you to want to get things right 
in your life. But either way, you know what? Thank God that whatever issues I have, his blood covers it all. And while I might have some issues, you know what? I'm going to at least treat that with some respect. Because this is something Jesus said to do, and it represents it, rep, it represents him. So it says in verse uh, 30, is that where we left off? Verse 30, I think. But it says, but this cause many are weak and sickly among you. And, oh, I know we were in verse 27. So verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Okay, don't just take that verse. Let a man examine himself. This isn't about just figuring out every little sin and thing you have in your life. No. How do you view this Lord's Supper? This bread and this fruit of the vine that you're about to eat and you're about to drink? What does that mean to you? You know, are, are, do you, are you treating it with the reverence and the respect that it deserves? Or are you just hungry? And you're doing it for carnal reasons only. That you know, you need to examine yourself and make sure you respect this and you're taking it serious. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This does not mean you're going to talk about the damnation of hell, but I do believe it could be referring to. It is referring to physical damnation. A Christian can suffer physical damnation. You can, as a Christian. If you get out of line enough, the Lord just might take you out. I personally think Ananias and Sapphira were saved, but you know what? They received damnation when they lied to the Holy Ghost and the Lord killed them. That, that was damnation. Thankfully, it was not eternal damnation, but they did get physical damnation. And I don't know about you, there's a lot of ways we can go out. I don't want the Lord killing me because I, I was, did something wrong. I, I don't want that to be the case. And so he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God had been judging these people because of their observance of the Lord's Supper. It was so bad, God was causing some of these people to be weak, sickly, and some were dead. So he meant many sleep. And that's proof, too, that these people were saved. Because you never, you don't, they don't talk about lost people as being asleep. Paul always referred to saved people when they were dead as being asleep. So these are saved people but they were asleep because they had uh, been irreverent with the Lord's Supper. So he said, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So to insert into this passage, anything in this passage that's not taught in this passage, when it comes to what it means to be eating and drinking unworthily, it is an abuse of the scripture. You know, if I just need you all doing something, and then I say, let a man examine yourself, have you been doing whatever it is I want you to do? That's out of line. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to do with this, and preachers do it all the time. I'm telling you, right now, as we speak, all across America, preachers are doing this very thing right now. They're scaring their people to death. They're about to have an altar call, and people are going to come to the altar trying to figure out if they're all on the altar because they're afraid if they don't get it fixed, they're going to go back and they're going to drop dead. And, and the thing is, too, it is, when, you, when you teach that, you know, a lot of people, I'm afraid, they're going back and then you know, they still take the Lord's Supper serious and everything, but it's like they know they got sin in their life, but then they're not dropping dead all the time. And understand, too, just because God killed somebody in the Bible over something doesn't mean he's going to do it every time. He shouldn't have to. 
Just like, you know, when Ananias is fired, lied to the Holy Ghost, it, God, that doesn't mean God's going to kill people every time that happens. That was God's way of showing, I don't like this. This is bad. And the church that was out of line with this, God judged that church. And he might do it with others. He might not. But uh, I, I think doing bad teaching on this is just causing people to become numb to these things and just think they think the Bible is not true. And you know, the Bible is true. So verse 33 says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. So obviously, they were coming together to eat the Lord's Supper, you know, and, and in church. And he's telling them, when you do it, carry one for another. Do this together. Okay, let's, let's do this as a group. And it says, and if any man hunger, okay, if you're hungry, let him eat at home. That ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. The reason, when he's talking about eating at home, it's not talking about observing the Lord's Supper at home. It's talking about filling your belly at home. That's what it's talking about. But when you come together, it's, it's to observe the Lord's Supper. It's to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we do this, we should do it with patience and with an or, in an orderly fashion when we do this. So let's never forget what was done for us, you know, as we take the Lord's Supper. You know, if anything, if we could just for a little bit tonight all be in one accord and of one mind and focus on Jesus Christ and what he did. We don't have to worry about a bunch of ceremonial things and worry about dropping dead from that stuff because Jesus Christ came and he did everything for us. And all we have to really worry about is just, he's told us, do this in remembrance of me. Take this time and remember something that's holy. We don't have these holy, solemn observances that we do throughout the year anymore. We don't have to worry about that stuff, but we have been asked as often as we do it. The Bible hasn't even prescribed how often you do it. I think we just do it when we want, but he wants us to make it a practice to remember what he did, and this is a holy observance. Not because of something special about that, but because of what it represents. And so because of what it represents, I'm going to treat it with great care and respect and take it serious. Because I'm glad Jesus wasn't careless with his body. So I can commit a couple of these sins. No, if he'd, if he'd have done one sin, he can't be the Savior. If he'd have skipped, you know, one thing that he was supposed to fulfill, then he can't be the Savior. But he did it all. These things matter. And this represents him. So let's take it uh, and have a serious attitude about it tonight. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And dear God, I pray you'll help us to uh, just take some time tonight to remember what you've done for us and to uh, be thankful and uh, be reverent about it. And I, uh, we just thank you, Lord, for providing for our salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. This